chapter 2 of 1 Peter. We made it. We made it through the first chapter. And now we've set our sights to chapter 2, but that'll lead me to something else I want to say in just a moment about chapter 2. Um, we're going to read one verse tonight. We're going to preach on one verse tonight. As I was saying a little bit earlier, I had intentions of going all the way down to verse 5. Um, but as I sat down, as I began to work through this, that didn't end up being the case. Because, you know, so quickly, as we start to read through things, especially when there's a list of things, we, we just read it. And we say, this, 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 move on. But I, I began to unpack the words that we see here in verse 1 and, and try to bring them down to, to uh, uh, their, their actual meaning and uh, biblical examples through verses in the Bible of, of how we are to respond and how these things are applicable to our lives and what God says about them. And by the time we got all that done, we just stopped at verse 1 because there's a lot to unpack here in this first verse of this chapter. So that's our plan for tonight. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Let's read it. It won't take us very long to get through this text tonight. Just reading it won't take long. Thank you. Verse 1. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Just like that. Verse 1. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this verse. Lord, I pray that you would open our minds and eyes tonight to see the truths of this text. And Lord, these are, these are texts and verses, Lord, that get our attention. They're a call for us in our Christian life. Lord, let us not overlook them. Let us not take this verse lightly. But Lord, let it pierce our souls, the truth that is in this verse. Lord, that we could live a life that is more transformed into your image and not the world. Lord, we ask that you would help us tonight, you would guide us tonight, you would lead us into all truth. We love your word. It is unchanging, and it is our foundation. It is our rock that we can stand on in this life. It is immutable. It is the comfort of our soul. It's the words of God. We thank you for this, Lord. We ask these things in your name. Amen. The reason I said I was going to talk about chapter 2 is because... Here's what I think, and this is a safe assumption, that if you did not learn anything in the study of Romans, you did learn one thing. That at the original writing of these letters, there were no chapter and verse divisions. That's important, because I've said it before, it's very difficult for me to see a chapter starting with the word, therefore. Because this isn't just a brand new thing. Chapter 2 just doesn't come out of nowhere, and it's a standalone chapter, but it starts with therefore, because that therefore, what's the question that we ask? What is the therefore, therefore? It is linking what has previously been said to what is getting ready to be addressed. It, it is this meshing of these two thoughts. It's, it's taking what was just mentioned, and it's saying, okay, as a result of what you just heard, now listen, and here's the next thing that you're going to fuse with that. So we have to ask ourselves here, what is that therefore? What's it there for? What is it linking? Well, what is linking here is what we just finished up on Sunday night. We can write it up here. It is 
what was discussed about being born again. We had talked about that on Sunday night. We've talked about it in several places in 1 Peter. We didn't get very far in 1 Peter when we talked about being born again in verse 3 of this chapter. But we see here in verse 23 of chapter 1, it says this, And you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. Now, just a few moments of, just to recap what that means as we set, set our uh, eyes on verse 1. What does it mean to be born again? Born again is the same thing as regeneration. This is a sovereign act of God. This is a unilateral act of God where He comes by the way of the Holy Spirit and He invades the soul, where He changes the disposition of our minds and our wills from our sinful nature that we're born with. We're born into sin. We're born deserving of wrath. We're born hostile to God. We are born enslaved to, the, to, to sin and, and the wills of the devil. We are hopeless. We've talked about that in great detail. But the reason that we have to be born again is because when we're born into this world by physical means, we are born physically, but spiritually, we're dead. That's why in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul labors that point, one of, our, one of the texts that we, we, we find ourselves going to quite frequently. But what does he say about those who are in their unregenerate state? You were dead in your sins and trespasses. That's the state you are. Yes, you have flesh. Yes, you have a heartbeat. Yes, you're walking around. Yes, you have life physically. But if you were to look internally into the spiritual aspect, you're dead. There's no life there. He goes on to say in, in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel chapter 36, he says that the picture that we're given is that our heart is stone. Why is that important? We've, we've talked about that as well. Why is that important? Because there's no, there's no life in that stone. There's no flesh in that stone. There's no, there's no love in that stone. It's just hard. If you went out here to the, to the parking lot and picked up a rock, that rock wouldn't have any love for you or you wouldn't have any love for the rock. It would just be this object that has no feeling or nothing to offer spiritually. That's the status of our souls in our hearts. Heart of stone. But through the sovereign act of regeneration, God comes and he takes out that heart of stone. And what does he do? He puts in a heart of flesh. The heart of stone that has no affection, that has no spiritual life in it now does. He removes that. God takes that out and gives you a heart of flesh. Gives you a heart that has affection for Him. Gives you new life. You are raised into spiritual life. You've been born again. You've been born anew by the Spirit of God. And now you have affection with this God, and you've been raised in the spiritual life. That's what it means to be born again or being regenerated. We talked about on Sunday night, how does this work? That when we hear the Word of God, the Word of God is like, it's likened to seed in the parable of the sower in Luke 8. And the Bible says that the seed is the Word of God, and it goes out, and there's, the Bible mentions four different soils that it can land on, but we know that there's only one type of soil that hears the Word of God, that, that receives the Word of God, and comes into faith in this salvation, and that is the good soil. And that good soil is only there because God has done the work. He has 
And we mentioned cultivated, tilled the soil of the heart of his people. So when they hear the seed of the word of God, it finds root and you have new life. That's what he just got through talking about at the end of chapter 1. You've been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flowers fall off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. So now you see the start. It's about being born again. Here comes chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, it's linking here. You can ask yourself, we won't ask for a show of hands, but are you born again? Again, there's a lot of people that can profess. There'll be people in churches that profess they are. But you know, and you and God alone know if you are. But if you're sitting here tonight and you can honestly say that you're born again, then we have to listen. Because this applies to every single one of us that claim that. Those who've been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God, here's what he says, therefore, and then he goes into this. He says, therefore, putting aside all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. This is not going to be a feel-good one tonight, is it? That's quite the, the harsh list. But he says, if you've been born again, the option that God is telling you to do is put it aside. We're going to go through each one of these and just kind of elaborate on it a little bit more. And this is a call to live a holy life separate from the world. And some of these things are very difficult. And if we're honest with ourselves, it probably won't take us very long to start thinking about times, not in the, just the near, the near future or in the near past. We could look back and say, hey, guilty. But do you see why the therefore is such a linking word here? It's not because, hey, listen, um, you know, because you're feeling good today, therefore put aside all malice. No, 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 no. He's called you to something greater. Being born again is the biggest deal that a human being could ever experience. It is being sought after by God and having your, your soul regenerated. It is where God comes and, and marks his people, changes their soul that they can't. This is a big deal. Do we think it's a big deal that we're born again? He says, therefore, put these things aside. First, when he talks about his malice, if you've ever read some of R.C.'s children's books, uh, one of his villains that pops up in throughout the books is the villain called malice. What does this word mean? It means malice or ill will, intentional desire to injure or harm others, wickedness that is not ashamed to break laws, trouble. The thing that sticks out to me here is where it says ill will or intentional desire to injure others. It's the malicious intent. How many times have you ever said something to someone or did something to someone and you don't even know you're doing it and they come to you and you say, hey, you really made me feel this way. And you say, what? I honestly didn't mean to do that. Have you ever said that? Have you ever intentionally tried to hurt someone? With words? With actions? 
whatever it may be. Remember we talked about the other night we met about we'll all stand before the judgment seat of God. What is he going to judge? One of the things that he will judge is what? Motive. You could look at somebody and tell them, I didn't mean to do that. That's not what I meant. And all along you could have meant that. God knows and you know. Have you ever intentionally tried to harm somebody? Intentionally tried to hurt them with words? Intentionally tried to stir up things? I wonder why this list he lists. Could have listed a lot of things right here, couldn't he? We're going to read at the end of this that these things you're reading are things from the flesh. They are things that are in perfect harmony with our fallen state, with our earthly, fleshly being. These things go right along with it. These things aren't hard for the, the unregenerate thing, uh, uh, unregenerate soul to do. They just come naturally, isn't it? it, it we, we, we harm, we, we talk about, we do. But when you are a Christian, therefore, as a result of being born again, even though you may feel like it's appropriate, even though you may justify it, he says, put it aside. Ephesians 4, verse 31 says this, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. It's the motive. It's the motive. You could, you could on the surface, it could look like it was of the greatest intention. But the judge who sees all knows the intention of your soul. He knows your motives. He also tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with a leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And in Titus 3, 3, he says, For we also were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. He said, that's how you used to be, but now what? Therefore, if you've been born again. Sometimes these things are hard to think about, aren't they? And sometimes they slap you right upside the face because we've all been guilty of this. Have you ever justified malice? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to do this, but you don't understand. I mean, think about this. Have you ever been in an argument with your, your husband, your wife, one of your best friends, and, and you get into it? You start throwing the daggers, and then one gets a little harder, doesn't it? And then one gets a little bit more vicious, and then you've got to retaliate over that. And before you know it, what have you done? You have one goal in mind. You want to say the most hurtful thing that you can say and your intent is to harm that person. You want them to really let them know that you're not messing around. You ever done that? You ever just cut somebody to the core to intentionally hurt them? You've been born again. Therefore, put it aside. But you don't understand what they've done. You, listen, I, he said something to me. She said something to me. So I had to, to one-up them. Says who? 
that's not what the Bible says. You may be everything in your being to not say something or do something. But we as Christians have to remember this verse. You've been born again. Therefore, put malice aside. And know this, that the omniscient God of the universe knows your intent. And he knows your motives. And if you claim to be a Christian, and I claim to be a Christian, we have to put this aside. Even if it doesn't seem fair in this situation. He goes on to say, in all deceit. This word comes from the Greek word, which means to bait, uh, entrapping, fraud, deceit, cunning, guile, stealth, intentional attempt to hide the truth. You ever done that? You ever been less than honest with someone? You ever been deceitful? Why are you deceitful? Why am I deceitful? Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, the heart is more deceitful than all else. Can you say amen to that? This is the same heart that we're told to trust. This is the same heart that we, are, we say or we have been told that this heart that's deceitful and wicked above all things, this is the heart that on your own merit and your own decision and your own determinism can come to the things of Christ. Okay. My Bible says it's evil and deceitful and desperately sick. Who can understand it? It's in our sinful nature to be deceitful, isn't it? The Bible says our heart is deceitful. And who can understand it? Psalm 34 goes on to tell this in verse 13. Keep your tongue from evil and keep your lips from speaking deceit. And you may say, well, listen, yeah, but do we have any examples where Christ showed us how to do that? I'm glad you asked. We don't have to go very far. In the last section of chapter 2, starting in verse 21, listen to this. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ has suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps. Who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. You remember those verses in Romans that says, don't avenge, don't take a vengeance or uh, revenge on others. The vengeance is mine, says the Lord, because he will repay. It's pulling off that thought. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually strained like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. There was no deceit in Christ's mouth. How would you have responded in that situation? I mean, think about what Christ did as an example. How would you respond if someone accused you of something you knew wasn't true. They did that to Christ. They accused him of being of the devil. He said he's led by example. Put off malice. Put off deceit. And be truthful. You've been born again. Therefore, put deceit aside.
as Christ is our example. He goes on to say not only to put all malice aside, not only to put all deceit aside, but also to put all hypocrisy aside. This is a word that I know we're familiar with. This word means an overacting personification, acting, hypocrisy, simulation, answering, pretending to be something he or she is not. He says a hypocrite is one who tries to deceive others about his spiritual state. They attempt to be more righteous than they are. You ever done that? You ever attempted to be more righteous than you are in front of someone? We see this happen in the Pharisees' account all the time. Why did they pray on the street corners to be seen? They weren't righteous. They were hypocrites, claiming to be righteous and holy before God, praying to be heard, giving to be seen. Follow along, that's not who they truly were on the inside. And in Matthew 23, we see one of the greatest chapters of rebuking and just laying it out against the group of people. We see this in his uh, rebuke against the Pharisees in Matthew 20, um, 23. He tells them they're washed tombs, how the outside of them is, is clean and pristine, but the inside of them is death and dirt. Have you ever lived a life of hypocrisy? Have you ever done anything in your actions in hypocrisy? You know, when I was thinking about this, as we were going as preparing for this, my mind went back to some of these verses, especially what we read in Romans chapter 12, talking about the church and the brotherly love of people. Listen to this. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. Remember what he said up in verse 22 of 1 Peter 1? He says, since you have in obedience to truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. That's a heart that's changed. That's a heart that's been renewed because that love for the brother doesn't come in the flesh. It comes via regeneration. Do you love your brother without hypocrisy? That's a tough verse, isn't it? There's a lot to this verse. But the Bible tells us that we are to love without hypocrisy. We're not to be one thing in front of someone while they're in front of us and then be burning them down the road, or not truly showing sincere love for those people. You're like, but, and I'm like, but, and God's like, but, you've been born again. Do you see why the born again triggers it all? You're called to be different. You're called to be in the image of God. You're called to be transformed into His image and to walk in a life of obedience that is doing everything we can to be like Christ. James 3, 17 says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. Do you love without hypocrisy? Do you live without hypocrisy? You know, that's one of the biggest complaints against the church, isn't it? Too many hypocrites. Too many people claiming one thing and living a life that's not. Has it ever been you? It's been me. Are you the same person here as you are when you leave? 
staff right across the country, a lot of people couldn't say yes. I mean, it's good that we're here, and I appreciate that we all act decently while we're here, and we all act very well. But you know, I believe the test of a true Christian character comes when you're not here. When it's time to go to work. When it's time to be around your family. When it's time to be around friends. Isn't it easy to come here and be around like-minded people? Isn't it different when you go to the world? We're to live without hypocrisy. Who you are here in this building is who you're to be when you leave this building. Who you are around one group of people is who you're to be around the next group of people. We're not to change our language and our talk and our actions when we're around this group of people. And then be totally different when we're around this group of people because we don't want to ruin that friendship. Or we don't want to ruin this, uh, these feelings. Are you the same wherever you go? Do you stand the same for his cause everywhere you go? Are there people that don't even know you're a Christian? Have they, are there people that have never even heard you say anything about God in your life? But they know that you're a Christian. You see, we come here and we say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God and the salvation. I would die for this God. And then we come around to the weak. This is what the church worldwide does, isn't it? We're one thing when we're here. And then we're another thing when we're out. If we've ever done that, God says, put it aside. Be the same. Don't claim something that you know you're not and live off those false pretenses. And he also tells us, involving the church, involving the people, the brethren of, of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, he says, because you've been born again, love without hypocrisy. It means look, be able to look at somebody and love them. That comes from a regenerate soul. You know you've passed from death to life because you love the brethren. Passing from death to life, what does that mean? You've been born again. Therefore, putting aside all malice, and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been envious of anyone, of anything? Have you ever wanted something that someone else had? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, we have. Covetousness. We want more. We're not satisfied. You know, when, when he lays out the Ten Commandments, covetousness is in that mix. We've mentioned it before. If you were to start a country and you had to make 10 laws and that governed your country, would, hey, listen, I don't want anybody to covet anything. Would that be on your top 10? No. We live in a society that's where we all do. Hey, I want, I want, I want that guy's wife. Uh, I want him. I want her. I want that pleasure. I want that toy. I want that car. I want that. We just never satisfy. We're always wanting more. And God knows the damage that causes. And God knows the heartache that it brings in the Christian's life. And he says, what? Put it aside. Think about what we say. A Christian should never be envious of anyone. Why? Think about what we say when we are not pleased with what God has given us. We, we, we are so quick. 
when it comes to salvation to say, we can't look at God and say, that's not fair. But when it comes to what God has given us in life, we can't say that either. God has blessed us as he's seen fit. God has given us what he's seen fit. And to say, God, all things are by your divine plan. All things are ordained from you, but I really would want some more. Because what you've given me, I don't know if you've done enough for me. You see the damage that can be done there. And when we're envious of people, we end up hurting those people, don't we? We end up hurting those people. If you're envious of someone's spouse and, and then you go after that spouse, there's hurt there. You're envy it causes pain. If you're envious of what someone has, what do people do sometimes? They steal it because they want it. There's injury and there's harm there. God says if you are envious of anything and anyone, you've been born again, laid aside. I mean, think about this. As a believer, we're not to be envious. But think about what we become envious of as believers or who we become envious of. The world. We look at their fame and say, we want their fame. We look at their wealth. We want their wealth. We, we like what they have. Listen, there's not one time that God ever gives us the okay to be envious, but let me just take it up one more notch. It is absolutely absurd for someone who's been born again to ever be envious of a non-believer. Because if you're a believer, do you know what you have? You have the greatest gift. You have the pearl of great price. You have the greatest thing that could ever be given to a human being. What more could you want? And what more could I want? How can we look at the world and say, oh, I wish I had that, knowing that their soul has not been redeemed, their soul has not been born again? Unless God intervenes, they have no hope. How can we look at that and say, oh, I want that. I want that wealth that's so fleeting. It's perishable. That's what Peter's saying, you remember? He says, you've not been redeemed by things that are perishable like silver and gold. We're envious of wealth. Guess what? That wealth is going to perish, and it'll never buy your soul. It's here and gone. What would you be envious of? What do, what do they have that, that you would want? You've been blessed by God. You've been shown grace and mercy by God. And if He never gave you anything, if He never gave you one more thing, as you said here, from now until the time that eternity starts, He's given you everything if you're born again. Do you see how da damaging and harmful being envious can be? Think about what God has given you. Be thankful for what God has given you. Because envy has no place in a Christian's life. Not for a second. 
Think about that pearl of great price that you have if you've been born again. Nothing to be envious of. Got everything. But haven't we all been here? You ever been envious? He says, put it away. Let me listen, or let me read some of these verses as you listen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 through 3, it says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as a spirit to, to you as spiritual men. Okay, I'm listening. Why? But as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. We'll talk about this on Sunday. For you were not able to receive it. Indeed, you are you now, you are not even able. For you are still fleshy, fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, you are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? He says, listen, you should be farther along. You should be on the meat, but I can't even give you that because you're still infants in Christ and you're still living like the flesh. And what are you doing that's bringing this rebuke? There's jealousy and strife. You're envious of others. You realize that the, being envious can hinder your Christian growth. You're like, I'm just, I just want that. I just, I'm not satisfied. That can hinder your growth. Paul tells the people in Corinth right here, I would love to come and talk to you on deeper things. I would love to talk to you as men of faith that have been, that have been sanctified and growing up. I can't. You're infants. You're still in the milk. And the reason I'm going to tell you right here that you are is because you are jealous uh, jealous and has strife. If you want to have a growth in your Christian life and there's envy in it, that growth is going to be marred and difficult until you do what this text says. Put it aside. How can you read the Bible and think that we have anything to be envious of? You've got a treasure waiting for you. You've got an inheritance waiting for you. You've got things that are, uh, that are given to you that are by the grace of God, mercy, grace, salvation, regeneration, the promise of heaven, and it's all imperishable. Don't want the things that are going to be gone. You've got the thing that is eternal. Put your mind on that. James chapter 3, verses 13 and se through 17 says this, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. Jealousy and envy. Don't be arrogant. Don't lie against the truth. These are pretty harsh words. They're hitting hard to the core because they are important to be rid from a Christian life. This wisdom is not from which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Do you see where envy comes from and jealousy and strife? It's from the natural fallen man and from the spirits of evil. Is that important? If you've been born again, therefore put it aside. Not for one second does it have a place in the Christian life. And then he goes on to mention the last one. 
and all slander. If any of these take importance, I believe there's one here that we can find significant importance in. What does slander mean? It means evil speaking, detraction, backbiting, slandering. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been slandered? I can say that I have. And if you're honest, you can say you have too. That's not the main question. Because you know what's coming. I may just stall and not ask it. Because I know my answer. Have you ever slandered someone? The Bible says not one moment of a Christian life is there a place for slander. Why is this so important? We get the word devil. And in the Greek, that word means diablos. And do you know what devil means? Slanderer. Think about that just for a moment. That the word devil means slanderer. We see this in John chapter 8 as Christ is having this interaction with these people here in this context. Listen to what he says. He's talking to the Pharisees here. Listen to this section of the slanderer. Have you been born again? That's the, that's the main crux of this, isn't it? You've been born again, so therefore. If you've been born again, who is your father? It's Christ. It's God. You remember, we have this privilege to look to the father and say, Father, in prayer. He's adopted us into his family. He has lavished us with great love that we should be called children of God. So if you've been born again, your father is God. But before you're born again, you're of your father, the devil. And devil means slanderer. Think about what we're doing when we slander. Being born again, children of God. We go and partake of the very thing that is spoken about. The devil. Listen to this in John chapter 8. We'll pick up in verse 31. It says, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. There's obedience, right? It says, And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. Wait a minute, who does? The son. You see, this is the whole bondage of the will thing. 
that we've labored the point of. When you are born into this world, you are enslaved to sin. Yes, you have free will, but no, it's not neutral. It is towards evil. It is towards the, 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 the natural flesh. It is against God. And you're enslaved to your sinful nature and your sinful desires. And it says that everyone who is of that is a slave of sin, and the slave does not go to the house, and he does not, he's not there forever. But who's there? The son. Those whom, who have been adopted by the Father, the one whom he sets free. The sovereign act of regeneration is God setting you free because you cannot. Oh, and by the way, that son and that daughter, you'll be in the house forever. Your inheritance is there, remember? The slave is not going to be there. And if Christ does not come and rescue from that bondage and that slavery, then you will never enter the kingdom of God. Oh, but the children will. The ones whom he set free will. This son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you have heard from your father. You see, the, here comes the comparison and contrast. He's like, listen, those who are the sons and daughters of mine, their father is the father in heaven. And those who are not, their father is the devil. You see, there's no, there's no middle ground. The Bible draws the lines very clearly. You're either set free or you're enslaved. You're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. There's no other way. You're either a sheep or you're a God. There's no other middle ground. And he says, if you're not of God, then your father is the devil. But we don't like to think about that, do we? You know, these are the people that are born. Every person that is born in this world, that's your state when you're born until Christ sets you free. He goes on to say, they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. Here it comes again. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. Wait a minute. Heard that before? Who loves God? Those are his children, those whom he's loved. He says, if you, if God were your father, you would have affection for me because that happens in your rebirth. For I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Another important verse. Why do you not understand what I am saying? Why don't you get it? I'd like to submit or tell you that the reason they didn't get it is because the soil of their heart had not been cultivated. The word of God was being spread and the seed was being planted, but their heart was not the good soil to receive it. He says, why? Why do you not understand what I'm saying? Look what he says. It is because you what? Cannot hear my word. Doesn't say you won't. It says you can't. You can't hear my word. Why? You are of your father, the devil. You see the theme that's coming by? You're the child of God, or you're a child of the devil. It says, you are of your father, the devil. Here's the bondage of the will as well. And you want to do the desires of your father. 
No one's forcing you to be evil. That's your natural tendency. It is the desire of our sinful nature to run against God and do the desires of the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. When he speaks, he speaks lies and he slanders and he is an accuser. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? I speak uh, truth. Why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear him because you are not of God. Do you see what it's being taught here in these verses? Why is slander such a big deal? Because it is named after the devil. It is what he does. It is what his actions are. He's the one who lies. He's the one who has no truth. He's the one who tries to destroy. He's the one who speaks evil and lies because that's his native tongue. But if you've been born again, that's not who your father is. But when we begin to pick up slander and engage in slander, we begin to participate in the things of the devil. And when you put it like that, it changes everything, doesn't it? Not for one second in a Christian life should we ever do anything that is named after the devil. But I've been guilty. And you don't have to answer if you have. But I know what you're thinking. But you don't understand. I may not understand. But God does. And you know what he says? Put it aside. We can't do that. I've done that. I'm guilty. And it has no place in my life. Therefore, because you've been born again, the devil's not your father. His name means slander. Do not do it. Your father's God, and you've been called to be conformed to his image. Do you see the weight of this? This is heavy. Here's some verses on slander really quickly. Exodus 20, verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Ten commandments. Exodus 23, you shall not bear a false report. Do not join your hand with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, there are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands... Uh, that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises evil or wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brethren or brothers. 
You want to know what God detests? There's a few of them on our list that made that list. A lying tongue, deceit. Heart that devises wicked plans. There's maliciousness. False witness. Utters lies and spreads strife among brethren. God detests it. Proverbs 16, 28, a perverse man spreads strife and a slanderer separates intimate friends. Can you attest to that? You ever had friendships just ripped from out from underneath you? Hearts broken? The Bible, it it knows what it's talking about. Isn't it funny? Because it's written by the Holy Spirit of God. If friendships are ever to be torn, then let them never be because of us. In our slander. If they're torn from others, we can't control that. But we can control us. You know, James tells us that the tongue is evil, isn't it? And wicked, and no one can tame it. Deadly fire that just spreads poison. You want to close your ears on this when you can? Matthew 12, verse 36 says this. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, this is tough, they shall give an accounting for in the day of judgment. Remember we talked about that we'll stand before God? We all will. Now the children of God will not stand there for their works as merits for their salvation. They won't lose that salvation, but they will stand. We will all stand. Every Christian will stand before God, and we'll give an account of ourselves based on motives and how we lived in a Christian life. And those words that seem to just fly off our mouth so quickly, don't they? Well, they fly off so quickly. There's power in those words. He says, you'll give an account. That makes me stop and pause. And think about some of the things I've said. And if I could go back, i take them all back. In the moment, I wouldn't take them back because I can justify why I'm doing them, right? But can you justify them before God? What are you going to be accountable for the words you've spoken since you've been born again? It's a sobering verse. I can't take those back. But I can come to this text. And I can pray for mercy. And I know one thing. If I've been born again, there's one thing that separates the one who's born again and the one who's not. And that is that we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God. And He's our help. And if this is something, all these things we've listed, is something that we struggle with in our Christian life, then we have an advocate We have one that we can go to and say, God, I need help. I can't do this on my own. It's against my natural man. Please, teach me to love your word. Teach me to read your word. Let me read these verses over and over and over again. Let me understand what's at stake. The Bible says those who seek righteousness, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they will be filled. It pleases the Father when we seek these things. 
in 2 Timothy 3, verse 1 through 5, says this, But realize this, in the last days difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious, gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. What are you supposed to do? Avoid such men as these. What do we want to do? We want to run right to them. The Bible says avoid them. What is the Christian response to slander? We've got a few verses here. Listen to this. In 1 Peter 3.16, it says, And keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. How do you deal with slander? How do you deal when people say things, things about you that you know aren't true and they do it for malicious purposes? Because we've all been there and everything in you and your flesh wants to rile up against it. Can you hear the words of God? He says, keep a good conscience so that the thing in which you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior, they'll be put to shame. It's not in your hands to bring wrath. It's not in your hands to bring vengeance. Vengeance has never been yours and it never will be. It's of God. We just read that in 1 Peter where Christ trusted in the one who would bring about the righteous judgment when he was being reviled. Psalm 119 also gives us some clues. In verse 23 and 24, it says, Even though princes sit and talk against me, what do you do? Your servant meditates on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Do you see what the psalmist is saying? Here comes slander. What am I to do? You pick it up. You pick up the word of God. And you delight in his statutes. And you delight in his commands. And you put your mind to the things of God. You renew your mind. Maybe we should preach on that someday. You renew your mind. When someone comes against you maliciously, renew your mind in the word. When someone is envious of you, renew your mind in the word. However, if you're malicious and you're envious, you know what you're supposed to do? That's a good sign. Run to the word as fast as you can. When you feel there's hypocrisy creeping up in your life, don't walk, run. Grab the Bible as fast as you can and begin to meditate on the things of God. When you have been slandered, run to the Word of God. Let it be your comfort. Let it be your refuge. Let it be your instruction. When you get that moment where you can feel it coming out of the tip of your tongue and your mind begins to justify why this needs to be said, before you do that, can I make one suggestion? Run to the Word of God as fast as you can and pick it up and let the Word of God 
Heal your soul. Do you see the theme that runs through the Bible? How are you conformed to the image of God? The renewing of your mind. He says you've been conformed by being born again. So therefore, put aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, and all slander. A couple more here. We're about done. Romans 12, you remember this, verse 17 through 21. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men, if possible, so far as it depends on you. Be peace with all men. Remember, if things are going to be broken up and things are going to be heartache and slander, and we talked about relationships, don't let it be from you. Never take your own revenge, beloved, and leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry... Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, be, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Ephesians 4, 29-32. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as it is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, but who you are sealed, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Colossians 3.8, you're going to see a lot of these back together again, but now you also put them all aside, same language, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. And then 1 Peter, we're going to get to it in a few weeks, in verse 8 and 9 of chapter 3, he says, To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. And down at the bottom of your sheet, you're going to see big groupings of all those things that we mentioned today that are from the, the flesh. And they're not from God. Because in Galatians chapter 5, he tells us what the fruit of the, of the flesh is. He also tells us what the fruit of the, uh, of the flesh is and the spirit. In verses 19 and 21, he tells us the, uh, the things of the flesh. And he says this, The deeds of the flesh are evident. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissension, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, in all things like this, of which I forewarn you, just as I have also forewarned you, that those whom practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is the natural man. These are the deeds of the flesh. However, therefore, you've been born again. What does this all come down to? All these are actions towards people, aren't they? Being malicious, being envious, slandering. They're all towards people. Being deceitful, they're all towards people. What does this come back to? Do you remember the vertical and the horizontal? What's the greatest commandment? That you love the Lord God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. That's the vertical in view of God's mercy. Or we could say, because you've been born again. You see what Paul is saying in Romans 12, Peter's picking up here. Because you've been born again. You're to walk in a different path in the world. You're to love your neighbor as yourself. 
And if you love your neighbor as yourself, guess what? You'll never be to them malicious. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you'll never be envious of them. If you love your neighbor as yourself, guess what? You'll never be a hypocrite in front of them. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you will never slander them. And if you love your neighbor as yourself, then you will have no deceit. You never have any of those things. But that can only be accomplished if you've been born again. And we will fail, we will struggle, but we have to know that there's no place for one second of those things in a Christian's life. You see, being born again is a huge deal. It's a huge deal. And we're called to be in the conformity of Christ. And the things that were mentioned in this list are not things of the Spirit, but things of the flesh. And here's what, in a nutshell, what Peter's saying. If you're a born-again believer, he's talking to the exiles here. Because you've been born again, if any of these things are in a Christian's life, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pick it up. And I want you to lay it down. And don't ever pick it up again. It has no place. Why? Because you've been born again. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. As tough as it may be, Lord, we thank you for your word. Because when we hear your word and we feel conviction, Lord, let us take comfort in this because one of the roles of the Spirit is to bring conviction. Lord, we should be thankful for conviction. If we can sit here tonight and have no conviction, Lord, then that's definitely not a good thing. Because we've all failed miserably at this, Lord, and I pray that you would convict our souls. Lord, I pray that you would take away our justification and reasoning of why we do these things. Lord, we justify in our minds why we do these things and why they're okay. Lord, let us just feel the weight and the certainty and the definite, definite impact of your word on these things. It tells us, no, do not do them. Do not be involved. Lay them aside. Don't ever pick them up. God, let us feel the weight of this. Lord, even though it may be the hardest thing we could ever do, let us be obedient to your word in these situations. Lord, we're to be an ambassador for you. We're to be a witness for you in our actions. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves, God, and that only comes because we've been regenerate. We've been reborn. Let us love our neighbor as ourselves. Lord, we need help. Help us tonight and let us know that no matter what we go through, that if we're obedient to your word, then we can never go wrong. Lord, let us lay these things aside and never pick them back up again. Let us know that we're your children and we're to act as such. Thank you, Lord, for letting me be born again. We give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.